Something happened this week that I'd actually been dreading for, for quite some time. Elections. Uh, the election season started 2024. Political season started. Iowa had their their caucus. And man, though though we you know our the, the political pundits and the news have been talking uh, about it for a while. Uh, man, it's here. And in election season, man, man, things get wild fast, and people lose their minds fast. And um, you just watch what happens. You can look at what happened in 2020, 2016. Um, you can literally see it every four years in America. You can see uh, America, uh, America just collectively act a fool. And as a pastor, and as a shepherd who, who loves his people, um, I just feel compelled and, and convicted to shepherd our hearts uh, to Jesus and to not act a fool, all right? So that's like, that's my hope uh, for us during this year is that, man, we are just people of salt and light, that we're people of hope, uh, that we're people that tell the goodness of, of Jesus and that we don't lose our ever-loving minds. Um, you know, one of the, one of the ways that I, I can see that I can shepherd us and in, in, in this text today, our text today shows us this, um, has to do with the oppressed and the oppressor. In our culture, uh, we have been highly um, affected, influenced by something called critical theory. Uh, critical theory has uh, deep roots. It goes back, uh, the number of people, Karl Marx being one of the more popular names that you'll hear when you speak of, of critical theory. But you can really turn, and you can, you can go back to 2020 and see how critical theory shaped the election. Matter of fact, if you, if you fast forward to, to um, October, I believe it was October 7th of 2023, and you look what happened with Israel and Palestine, you, you can see in the response to that, how critical theory has shaped uh, the response of many, particularly on our college campuses. I want you to understand, we have a lot of college students in here. If you're a college student and you go to CSU, raise your hand. That's a bunch. Um, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good crowd. Your campus and the ideas and ide ideologies on your campus are greatly um, influenced by critical theory. If you work at a big corporation and your corporation is doing things with DEI, uh, diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, you're in the Tudor school district, you have kids there, your life is being affected by critical theory. And there's a lot of different components to it. And I want you to hear me say this up front. There are things about critical theory that, that really come from the Bible. There, there are things that the Bible teaches. Like we ought to care for the oppressed. We, we ought to fight against power when it's evil. Um, here, here's the problem. We can't put our hope in it. We, we can't be people who, as, who, who feel oppressed and create oppression to want to overthrow the oppressor and the powerful just so that we can sit on the throne. And that is what, that is, what is happening within critical theory in, in, in America and how it's being politicized and used. And so one of the, one of the things that this, our text is going to confront us with today is 
the oppressor and the oppressed. And, and in our world, those who consider themselves oppressed have the goal, the goal of critical theory is to tear down the oppressor. But is it, is it to tear down the op op oppressor? It's not only to tear them down, it's to rise to power. And so it becomes power dynamics. I don't know if you've heard of intersectionality. Intersectionality is this idea in critical theory that all the oppressed come together and uh, they, they basically work to defeat the oppressor. Well, here, here's what I want to show you today. Here's this big truth that I want us to walk away, uh, walk away with. Is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the oppressed, and the oppressor. This is what makes us different than the world. That Jesus didn't just come to save the oppressed. He also came to save the oppressor. My mentor, uh, Dr. Herschel York, um, when he taught this passage, I remember hearing him, him teach this passage, I remember him making a connection that I'd never seen anywhere else, and even in studying uh, this week, I, I didn't see another scholar make uh, this, this connection, but this connection comes from uh, the wisest man who ever lived, and I'm not talking about Herschel York, that's not what I meant, King Solomon. King Solomon was the wisest man who ever, ever lived. The Bible says he had tons and tons of knowledge. He was King David's son. He was the third king of Israel. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is what he says. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Here's the truth. When we open up God's word and we look at scripture, you're going to see that God has a heart for the oppressed, for the downtrodden, for the outcast. And over and over and over, you're going to see the tears shed and that God comforts them. But listen to what, what, one of this, what, what a king, one of the wealthiest men, wisest men to ever live says this. And on the side of their oppressors. There was power, and there was no one to comfort them. So often in, in our world, we, we look at the oppressor, the, the oppressed, oppress, but we don't look at the oppressor. We have compassion on one, but we look at the other with anger. And yet, you see here in Scripture that God cares for both, that God came to seek and to save the lost. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there. We're going to be starting in verse 35. And we're going to go to uh, chapter 19, verse 10. Now remember, when the, when the Bible was written, when Luke wrote this out, he did not put verses and page numbers in, in there. And he for sure didn't put captions, right? So, so when you get to this, it, Luke didn't write, Jesus heals a blind beggar. He didn't write that that subject heading, nor did he write Jesus and, and Zacchaeus there right before 19 starts. That's, that's the editors of, of the text as they're, they're translating the Bible. They're putting those in there to help us read, to give us, give us a break, but those aren't there. And so when I approach these two stories, uh, I think these two stories very much belong together. 
Matter of fact, as we go through today and we, we, we kind of make this case from Scripture, when I bring forth the big ideas, in these two stories, I'm going to bring forth the exact same big ideas. So we're going to read this as one story. Luke communicating one, one central theme through these two stories to us. And so starting in verse 35, as he, he is Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in, in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, here is a story of two men in radically different circumstances that share the same reality and come to the same realization. They both desperately need the radical love of Jesus. Here are these two men in radically different circumstances you have a beggar he cannot see therefore he cannot work his very life is dependent on other people giving them their scraps and i don't know if you've ever 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 been to uh, a, a different country ever been to a third world country but if you are in a third world country and you come across someone begging they are not able-bodied there's a difference. Here we, we come across people, they're begging, they're very able-bodied, they're likely, maybe there's something's gone wrong, there's some sort of addiction. Occasionally you'll come to somebody who, who isn't able-bodied, but most of the world where you see a beggar, they really are dependent. 
It's not like this, this blind man was just being lazy. No, this blind man was desperate. He desperately needed others for, for dependence. He was as poor as poor could get. I, I can't imagine what it is to be blind. I, I've, I've been blind a few minutes in my life. I had LASIK surgery. Anybody had LASIK, you know, like for a few minutes you can't see, and it is crazy, right? I can't imagine what it's like to live that way, to stumble around, to be uh, de- dependent on others, to people have to bring you out to beg. But this was this man. He was poor as poor could be. But yet you had Zacchaeus, who we see as a tax collector. We've talked about what it means to be a tax collector in, in, in past weeks because we, we saw that there was this prayer of a Pharisee and there was the prayer of a tax collector. And we talked about like the, the tax collectors were despicable people uh, to your, your average day uh, Jew would look at the tax collector and see them as, some, who, some, as a, someone who had betrayed them who was Jewish but yet working for the Roman government. They were extortioners. They, they extorted taxes. That's how they, made, that's how they made their living. The Roman government had a certain tax, and the tax collectors would go, and they would get that tax, and whatever they could get over that tax is how they, they made their money. It was government. It was their own sort of government corruption. And so um, they, they were wealthy, and it says he was very rich. Now, we talked about last week, we talked about the rich young ruler. We've talked about the wealthy. Jesus, as a matter of fact, has been talking a lot of, of, about the rich. And what do we know about the rich last week? I mean, it's, it is harder for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, which is what? Impossible. Than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus has used the Roman government and their muscle to stockpile his wealth. He's got a stockpile of wealth, and you've got a beggar who has nothing. They have radically different circumstances. But their reality is exactly the same. It doesn't matter your physical condition. It doesn't matter your uh, materialistic condition, what you have in your bank account. Your spiritual condition is the same. That was that, they, they both had the same reality. Apart from Christ... They are lost. That's the word that the Bible uses, lost. They're, they're lost. They're without God. They're separated from God. And so they, they have the same spiritual reality. Apart from Christ, they have a, a eternity that is not secure. Right? They have eternity that is doomed. And yet they come to the same realization. Somewhere along the way, both come to their same realization is that they desperately need Jesus. The radical love of Jesus, they both need. Now, the crowd, two different crowds, one right outside of Jericho, one in in Jericho. The crowd's response are also kind of shockingly, in some ways, the same, but in one way, different. The crowd... Did not like what happened. So let's begin to uh, take the, this passage apart, starting in verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, um, there's, a, there's a lot in that statement. We have been working towards Jerusalem. Jesus has been working towards Jerusalem. And this is the last stop. Jericho was this beautiful city. It was a wealthy city. Um, it had these massive trees 
uh, basalt uh, trees and sycamore trees. And, and there was all sorts of money there and there was wealth there, which also shows you the disparity between you know, Zacchaeus and, and, and the beggar. And he draws near to the city and it is literally the last stop before they get to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, uh, we, we are right now in Luke 18 and 19. Um, and, and after next week, so next week we'll, Jesus is going to tell a story. It's an impactful story. It's got a ton for us in it. But after that, we're going to get into Jesus' final week of life. So starting in Luke chapter 19, it's Jesus' final week. And it goes to chapter 24, and there's a ton of details and events in it. So we're going to spend from the first Sunday in February to the last Sunday in July in Jesus' final week. So as Jesus draws near to Jericho, coming at the end of his ministry right here, there is a blind man sitting by the roadside begging. It's very, very normal. This is where, the, this is where, they would have, where somebody begging would have sat. So here comes the details. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here's my first big idea. It is by faith that we see who Jesus is. Uh, this story reminds me of a story that, that, uh, that I had in my life. Um, I was in Malawi. It was 2022. It was February of 2022. And a matter of fact, next Sunday... Um, after service, after we get done preaching that second service on our anniversary service, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to pack my bags, and I'm going to go to the airport. And I say pack my bags, I mean literally, I'm going to go home and pack my bags. And uh, right before I leave, and I'm going to go to the airport, and at 5.50, I'm going to get on a plane, and I'm going to go back to Malawi. Uh, that's, a, that's a country kind of in Central Africa, and I'm going to go train pastors. And so in, in 2022, um, I'm there, and it was my first day there. And uh, I wake up in the morning, and uh, back, back in 2022, I was still run. I still run a ton, but uh, then, I will still do it, but anywhere I, anytime I would go to a new city, I would run a half marathon. And so I'm going somewhere, I'd get up, and I'd go run a half marathon. And so I get up that morning, and it, it's like, to, in order to hit my goal, 100 miles a month, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go run. And so I have no clue where I'm going have no clue what it's going to what it's going to be like and I get up and I go run a half marathon just out and back and uh, I had no clue what this was going to be like and as I'm running um, I kind of brought quite the show you know I would be running by a house and you would see somebody out on the porch and they would turn around they'd go inside and they would come back out with everybody in the house <laughs> and they're like watching this white guy run by and it was like, you know, like, you know, I could hear them talking. I couldn't hear what they were saying. And, uh, I mean, where, where I was, you, they just d didn't see uh, a lot of white guys running. Or maybe I just looked real funny. I don't know. Um, and I, I get on into, into this, this uh, city, Zomba, and I'm running, and there's some school kids. And they see me running, and they just die laughing, and they start chasing me. And so I'm running, and there's 10 kids running with me, you know, and they're talking. I have no clue, you know, and I'm just like, be honest, it's hot. It's like 80-something. It's humid. I'm sweating. I just keep going. 
Well, when I get right about to the point that I'm going to turn around, so you know, halfway, I look over, and there is a guy wearing a Georgia Bulldog shirt. And I see him, and I'm like, oh, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a, if you don't know, I'm a Georgia fan. I'm from Georgia. And I'm like, I got to take a picture with this guy. And he had no clue what shirt he was wearing. And I can't speak his language. And so I go over to him, and there's four or five guys standing around. And one of them sitting on the porch is blind. He has no clue what's going on. But he hears them talking. They're talking fast. They're dying laughing. And I, by the way, I'm sweaty. I'm nasty. I have the picture. I'll show it to you on my phone. I have the picture. Um, I, I'm just sweaty. And I take a picture with this guy wearing a Georgia shirt. And then I just take back off running. Now, can you imagine the blind guy sitting on the porch? He had to go, what just happened? What was all of that about? And I, I was just pretending his name's Matthew. Like, dude, Matthew? There was just a white dude here who I have no clue, but he wanted to take a, a, a picture with John over there. And he just turned around and left. And we have a dude's crazy. That guy sitting on that porch, everything they told him, he had to receive it by faith. Right? He had to believe what they said. He, he did not see me. He, he heard me. You know, it's a white guy, and he's probably like, what's a white guy? You know? Like, what's a black? You can't see if you're, you know, what, what, would, what would the color of my skin matter to him? Why, why is that so interesting? Everything they told him, he had to receive by faith. Well, here, this is the same story. Here's this blonde beggar sitting there. He hears the commotion coming, and he has to ask the question, what is that? Now, their response, well, it's, it's Jesus. Um, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, what do we know? Uh, we, we know from Scripture that Jesus, as he started his earthly ministry, at, at this point in our text, three years earlier, that as he would go and do ministry, as he would go and do miracles, that the word about him would spread, right? His name, they, they, people knew who Jesus was. They had heard about Jesus. And so him, sitting at the, the city gates there in Jericho, he had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. He, he, he knew who he was, and he had to, to take their word that he was coming. And so there, there is a faith here. By the way, this, this, this blind beggar, he has a name. Uh, we see in the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells the same story, and Mark gives us a different detail, and he says his name is uh, Bartimaeus. He's blind Bartimaeus, and we know, here he is, um, blind, desperate, dependent on others. By, by every measure, uh, a beggar in that time would have been an oppressed person. And this is what he says by faith. He cries out, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. I, I think that this blind Bartimaeus, I think, was already a believer. I think when he heard about Jesus, he believed. When he had heard stories that Jesus had healed the blind, he believed. And blind Bartimaeus makes this faith connection that others had not made, including... His disciples, he, they, they, he had made the, 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 the connection like, this is the, the seed of Abraham that was promised. 
This is, this is the son of David that we see in Scripture, that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah. And so when he sees him and he's coming, what he cries out is he's saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's saying, Jesus, the Messiah, have mercy on me. Save me. We're in the same boat. We don't get to see Jesus in the flesh. There is a blind faith to our Christianity. We see the God in Scripture. We read, we read the Bible of Scripture. Uh, we read the story of Scripture. We read the Bible. We see the compelling arguments and the compelling story. We see the depth of it, the goodness of it, and we have faith. The Lord, and it, it moves and works, and he, and he causes us to be able to see. And so us, just like blind Bartimaeus said, it is by faith. It's how we see Jesus. Listen to verse 39. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Here's the next big idea. We can't let the crowds stop us from coming to Jesus. The crowd looked at him, the blind beggar, and said, shut up. You do not have the worth, the dignity, the value to speak up. Let those who are in front, let the religious leaders, let, 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 let those who are in good social standing be the ones who get Jesus' attention. But... It didn't stop him. The, the noise from the crowd, the being told to shut up, the oppression didn't stop him. What did he do? But he cried out louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know that when we believe the gospel, when, when we believe the good news of Jesus, when we believe that while we were sinners, while we were far from Christ, while we were separated by our sin and our disobedience. And, and we believe that, that Jesus came to reconcile us to himself. To come and live this perfect and holy and spotless, spotless life. And, and to be crucified on the cross for our sin. And be put in that grave. And to be raised to life on the third day. Like when we believe that we have faith in that. We're, we're called to act on that. We're called, we're called to a, a, a moment of crying out. But yet the temptation for us is just like him. So let the crowd tell us to shut up. We get worried and hurts. We're like, well, what will they think? If I, if I give my life to Christ and follow Christ, what will others think? What will they think of me? If, if, I, if I go forward and I'm baptized, and I show the world in my baptism that I'm dead to my sin and raised to life with Jesus, what, what will my dad think? What will my mom think? What will my husband think? What will my wife think? What will my kids think? What will my brother think? What will my boss think? Man, if, if I give my life to Jesus, what if people call me names? What if they call me crazy? What if they, what if they persecute me? What if, they, what if they tell me to shut up? What if I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm treated poorly because I, I follow Christ? What if they look at me and go, but we know your sin. We know your past, and now you're 
goody-goody Jesus follower? How's that work, right? They're gonna, what, if, what if they, they uh, mock me and ridicule me? We're in the same, we're in the same place. And just like the blind beggar, if we understand the desperation of our situation, we will cry out and beg God for his mercy in faith. We can't let the crowd stop us from coming to Jesus. Maybe you hear the crowd. And maybe you think, man, God could never save me. I'm too bad. I've gone too far. I've sinned too much. I am too hopeless. I've got good news for you. Listen to this. Listen to the beauty of this. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Here's the next big idea that I want you to see is that Jesus is compassionate and merciful. He, he is. It is of his very nature and essence in who he is that he is compassionate and merciful. I promise you this. Other religious leaders had walked right by that blind Bartimaeus. Rulers. Uh, government author authorities, the, the leaders of the synagogue, the Pharisees had walked right by, and maybe some of them shared some scraps of food. But Jesus stopped. We see him do it over and over and over in Scripture. Matter of fact, when Jesus starts his ministry, uh, it's his, the, the beginning of his ministry, uh, he's, he's been into the desert, he's been tempted by Jesus, and I mean, by Satan, and he comes into the synagogue as was his custom to do. We find this in Luke chapter 4. He comes in and he quotes the book of Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 51. And he, and he says this. It says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll. And he found the place where it was written. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And after that moment, he goes and he does those things. That list of things that we see there. To proclaim the good news to the poor. To, to send, send them to proclaim liberty to the captive. The recovering of the sight to the blind. At liberty to those who are oppressed. This is what Jesus does. This is how he lives out his life. He is compassionate and merciful. It's his very nature. So if you're sitting here today, I want you to know that you have a, a, a Jesus who's compassionate and merciful who you can come to. Listen to the beauty of this. This is what happens. And he immediately, he recovered his sight and he followed him glorifying God. Now, this isn't, this isn't necessarily my main point. I'm going to show you this again in a minute. But look at the response. Like, what's the response to the good news of Jesus? The good news of the gospel. Jesus is compassion and merciful. 
It's obedience. He gets up and, and he follows Jesus at glorifying God. Like if you've come to faith in Christ, this, this is what you do. When you believe, you obey. You, you follow God immediately, giving him, him glory. But listen to, this, listen to this point. The very people who would have told him to sit down now actually get the response right. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Here's the next big idea that I want you to see. Is that when someone follows Christ, the church should rejoice. You know, if we turn back really into uh, this same era of uh, Jesus' ministry, you can turn back to Luke chapter 15. And matter of fact, go ahead and do that. Just look over at Luke 15 real quick. Just flip your Bible. And you'll see that... Um, Jesus has just talked about the cost of discipleship in 14, and in 15, he tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then, and then the lost coin, and then he tells uh, the, the story of the, the prodigal son, the son that was lost and who came home. And, and Jesus teaches us something there when he talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin and, and the lost son. And, and he teaches this, that when someone follows Christ, the church should rejoice. Look at 15 verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That means when people come to faith in Christ, it ought to be a celebration. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, we see clearly taught in Scripture that your first step of obedience should be baptism. Baptism is how you tell the world, I'm with Jesus. I'm following Jesus. It's symbolic. The water, is a, it's, it's, a, it's a tomb. And you're saying, I am dying. I'm being crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I once lived in the, in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. And so you're buried with Jesus in baptism. And then you're raised to walk this new way of life. And, and when, if you're at our church and someone is baptized, what you will notice is that people go nuts when they come out of the water. It is a celebration. We, uh, we, we, we clap, we, we say amen, we, some, some yell, some stand up. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a celebration. We, we see that, that this is, this is what should, should happen when someone turns and comes to Christ, that we should rejoice. But you're going to find out here in a second, it is not always that way. Listen to the story of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho, and so he was, he was coming up to Jericho, and he, and he comes at the, at the beginning. He's at the, the, with the blind bearer. He enters Jericho, and he's passing through, and somewhere I'm passing through, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, what we know about the tax collector is that they were the oppressor. You had this man that he just ministered to that was oppressed. Now you've got this oppressor. You've got this rich tax collector who is a thief, who is a crook, who's extorted the, the poor. And he stole from them. And, and let's just be honest. People hated them. And if he were here today, we'd hate him too. There's so many 
of us, when we look around and we see that person in, in our angst against the government and government leaders, and we look at it and it is part of our sanctification process that we look at them and we struggle. God was moving and working in Zacchaeus' heart. God was doing something there. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Here comes this big idea. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, again, it's repetitive from this earlier story. We can't let the crowd stop us from coming to Jesus. You know, I, I have to think that Zacchaeus probably had some excuses of why he didn't need Jesus. Why he didn't need to enter that crowd. One, if you, you're, you're this small tax collector, you're small in stature, and you've used the Roman government for protection to extort money, you've got to think, like, if you go out on your own, you're in danger. Like, you go out in the middle of the crowd, you're going to get shanked, right? You're going to get beat up. You're going to get thrown in the trash can. Middle school, middle schooler's worst nightmare, right? <laughs> middle schooler, like, you don't want the high schooler to put you in the trash can. It's like you're thinking, I, I, I'm in danger. They use the Roman government for protection. I've got tons of money. What do I need Jesus for? You know, I think Zacchaeus is probably a really good illustration of why having money doesn't bring you joy. He had tons of money. You know what he didn't have? Relationships, friends, eternal security, peace in his heart. He knew that what he was doing was wrong. And so, again, I say we can't let the crowds stop us from coming to Jesus. We've got to be willing to do. I do not know what is standing in your way today. If you're in this room and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you've heard the gospel and you understand the gospel and you just can't quite bring yourself to saying, I'm all in, I'm following Jesus. I don't know what, what it is, but I know this. You need to figure out how to climb the tree. You need to have such a desperation in your heart that you're willing to do whatever it takes to see Jesus. It is the most important thing that you will do. And so then we see, we see this. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And so, man, you see the same thing. You see Zacchaeus' obedience that, uh, just like the blind beggar, obeyed and followed him and sought to glorify God. When, when Zacchaeus, I believe this is the moment of conversion. I believe that when Jesus says to him, come down, and he obeys, I believe this is when Zacchaeus believed. Like, that is the Lord. That is Lord. That is, that is the Messiah. That is the son of David, and his coming down was saying, have mercy on me. And so he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. God spoke. He obeyed. It's what we ought to do. But listen what happens. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They, they, they... You know, they tell the, the man on the front end, the blind, blind beggar on the front end, hey, sit down, shut up. But when the Lord heals them, they're like, oh, wow, magic trick. That was cool. Do that again. Right? Ooh, they, they celebrated that. But, but when the oppressor gets saved, they don't like it. When the oppressor gets saved, 
they, they, they grumble and they say what they so often say about Jesus, that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so I bring this big idea back before you, is that when someone follows Christ, the church should rejoice. And it does not matter how far from Christ they are, how despicable they are in the culture, what part, what, where they are in the social class or the caste system or however you want to look at it, that we ought to celebrate. But I'm telling you that in our world today, and especially when it comes to politics and the polarization that happens in our world, we look at people across the political aisle from us who are different than us, that dress different than us, that look different than us, and we will not offer them the good news of the salvation of Jesus. And when they come to faith, we would be skeptical. Listen, in, in our current climate, in the polarization, our world tells them that the people over there are enemies. And they are not. They may be enemies to the cause of Christ. They may be enemies to the kingdom of God. But how are the enemies one? What does Jesus say? Love them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who, who persecute you. What, 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 is, what is he's, I mean, someone, someone's a different religion. Were they, were they Jesus' enemy? Someone didn't believe. Were they Jesus' enemy? No. They were his mission. And so this is where the church gets lost in an election year. We so easily lose our mission and see other people as enemies rather than being salt and light, being gospel witnesses to everyone around us. I want you to understand something. There are tons and tons of people who need Jesus on every side of the political aisle. There, there, I, I'm, listen, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that everything's equal and everything is not equal. There, there is radical rebellion to the things of God and the things of Jesus. There, there absolutely is. What I'm telling you is that those who are radically against the things of Jesus need the gospel of Jesus. They need the goodness of the gospel and that we should be a people who rejoice when the gospel does. The gospel will not return void and when people come to faith, we celebrate. So Zacchaeus stood and he and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded any, anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house since he also is a son of Abraham. And here we see the truth again, that Jesus is compassionate and merciful. Here, the oppressor comes to Christ. The oppressor is saved. But what happens to the oppressor? Radically changed. He, God turns his life upside down. He says, hey, everything I have, I'm giving half of it away. I'm giving it to the poor. And if I've taken anything wrong, if I've stole, any, anything I've stolen, I'm returning it fourfold. If I took your $20, I'm giving you $80 back. You see that the compassion, the compassion and mercifulness of Jesus, then uh, Zacchaeus takes on as now being a new follower of Christ. He, he adopts the compassion and mercy of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus. Both of those men, both of those men who sat there and they came from really, really different circumstances, but they had one real big need, and it was Jesus. 
And friends, I want to tell you that that same need that they have is the same need that we have. Verse 10 tells us this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I want you to see this big idea yet again. It is by faith that we see who Jesus is. Chapter 18. Right before Jesus heals the blind beggar. He's just preaching. He's just told him of the rich young ruler. And Jesus foretells his death a third time. He says this. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But do you see that they understood none of these things? This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. They were just as blind as the blind beggar. They were blind spiritually. Today, just as he did to the blind beggar, maybe you're here today. If you're here today, it wasn't by accident. If this is your first time hearing the gospel, it wasn't by accident. It is part of God's sovereign plan for you. It is part of God moving and working in your life, drawing you unto himself. It's him orchestrating that you would hear this good news. That, the, that you would see who he is. That you would, uh, in faith, believe who Jesus is. doesn't matter today if you're the oppressor or you're the oppressor. Jesus Christ died for you. I, I exhort you to do what both the blind beggar and Zacchaeus did. Obey. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And I pray that we would be obedient to it. Lord, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. Lord, I, I thank you that you were a God of compassion and mercy. Lord, I thank you that in our spiritual lostness, that you came to find us. Lord, I pray that the lost would be found today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this song of response, cry out to God. Cry out. If you've, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, place it in Him today. And let's be obedient. Let's talk about baptism.